Good morning. It's time for Awaken with Dr. Joe and Mark Holcraft. Awaken airs the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 7 a.m. Central with the executive director of Real Presence Radio, Mark Holcraft, and his brother, Dr. Joe Holcraft, professor and director of the High Calling Program at the Avila Institute. Together with a mix of national and local personalities, connecting examples in church history, contemporary relevance, and lively witness of the saints, Mark and Joe will share how the Holy Spirit is working to awaken in all of us a deeper sense of what we are made for, a life in Christ. Good morning and welcome to today's edition episode of Awaken. I'm your host this morning, Mark Holcraft, joined by Dr. Joe, who's in the house. Okay, just kidding. He's in his house in Ohio. Morning, Joe. Morning, brother, as always. Good to be with you. Thank you. Good to be with you. Uh, I do feel like it is custom now to begin with our uh, regular weather report, of which it is uh, sunny out here. And let me tell you, Joe, the locals are we're loving this. I say the locals. I'm one of them, and I am loving this warm. Well, okay, warm might be a little bit strong still, but it's sunny. <laughs> uh, it was in the mid to upper 30s this morning, um, but it, it's it's been cold out here lately, and we've been getting quite a bit yeah. of snow. So this this is welcome. Amen. Joe, Joe, we uh, we're gonna let's let's dive in. You know, this morning. Uh, we're doing something a little bit different or unique. I know you and I have talked about we regularly we're trying we want to address the questions Jesus is asking. Um, but there is a provocative question that is asked of Jesus, of which if you're listeners, regular listeners to Awaken, you would note that he uh, Jesus often answers a question with a question, a very Hebrew teacher fashion way of teaching. Um, he doesn't do that this morning. Uh, so we're going to dive into that. But first, let's begin with prayer. And Joe, would you mind leading us in prayer? Of course. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of this morning, the gift of sunshine, uh, the gift of praise, the gift of your word that you call us to reflect upon, meditate upon, and the gift of the calling of Matthew, which we will spend some time using over this morning, that you might enrich our lives by a deeper understanding of, of the calling of Matthew and, and how that might um, impact our lives. As always, we pray this in your most holy and precious name. Amen. In the name Amen. of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Well, as you just said, this morning we're talking about the calling of Matthew. And so I, 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 let's, let's dive in to see, okay, what's the, the question here uh, that's provided or that's uh, asked of Jesus and his response. So we're picking up from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the customs post. He said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat with Jesus and his disciples. The Pharisees saw this and said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? He heard this and said, Those who are well do not need a physician, but the sick do. Go and learn the meanings of the words, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
So, Joe, the question we're asking here, or that, that's, that's the question that is asked, is from the Pharisees asking his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Mm-hmm. This coming off the heels, right off the heels of Jesus inviting Matthew to follow me, right, to follow him. And mm-hmm. in which Matthew, as far as we know, immediately follows him. Yeah. You know, um, and, in, and in this setting, you know, I, I go back to, there is a great scene in the movie Jesus of Nazareth. I'm dating myself a little bit, but maybe a lot of our listeners can relate to that one. There's a great scene in Jesus of Nazareth that depicts what it could have looked like when Jesus called Matthew to follow him and then immediately has dinner at his house that night. It just gives a great yeah. visual of the kind of lifestyle and the kind of people that Matthew hung out with. You know, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, that's why, that's why I used the word provocative earlier. Because mm. uh, it's sure. scandalous, Joe. It's scandalous yeah. in that time. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and provocative means to provoke, right? To, to provoke thought. I mean, we've given the word provocative all sorts of different meanings, but by definition, to provoke, to draw out. Yeah, I mean, when something is intended to be drawn out, we call it provocative. It, it provokes thought. Uh, and, and no doubt, Mark, this passage provokes a lot of thought. You know, just verse 9. So before we even get into the question, exactly, right, yeah. this, this passing on, he saw a man, Matthew, at the tax collector's bench. Mark, there's much to be said about why Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 is, is in biblical scholarship such a known passage. Because here you have Matthew talking about Matthew's calling, right? And, and there's a lot to be had there. Um, to the least of which is this language mark of passing and, and, and seeing, right? Jesus is always passing because God is always active, never inactive. God is life itself. Um, he is the principle of all life and movement. So he's always passing. He's always moving. And that's something we should always have in our rearview mirror. Um, a word that jumped out to me, Mark, when I was just kind of meditating with this passage um, with respect to passing and, and seeing, more seeing, is salvation. Because salvation begins by our being seen by Jesus. We are first seen by Jesus. Matthew wants us to know that that Jesus sees him. So salvation begins by by our being seen by Jesus, and that's so important, by his turning toward us his compassionate eyes. Um, just as, lest we forget, Mark, um, in the previous episode, in the previous verses, uh, Jesus first perceived the paralytic lying on a stretcher. He now catches sight of the man named Matthew sitting at the customs bench. And I think we're made to kind of see those two side by side, the man on the stretcher and then the man at the customs bench. So Jesus glances our Lord's glance finds the man, again, Matthew focuses on the man named Matthew, sitting at the customs bench. And what is he doing, Mark? But he's busy collecting customs taxes at the outskirts of what we can, can, do, uh, can deduce as uh, Capernaum, right? So Jesus does not confine himself in selecting his disciples um, to the heart of Jewish piety. He, he looks beyond. He he, mark, he goes beyond, we can say, conventional religious circles so as to open up these vast new horizons 
in man's vision of God. He, he goes to the margins, to the borders of Israelite society and geography, where, according to the Pharisees, certainly Jewish identity begins to be dissolved. God's glance will fall, will fall where it will, right? And as mediator between the Father and humanity, Jesus is a man who, who we might say lives at the border, the border between time and eternity, the border between Mark's sin and holiness, between man's fear and God's. He is a bridge. So Matthew, the evangelist, <laughs> exactly. tells yep. us that the name of the man sitting at the customs bench collecting taxes is Matthew. It, it would appear, Mark, that that if not the only one miracle <laughs> that he wants to to relate concerning his own life, that is Matthew, is that Jesus looked at him and without hesitation told him to follow him. It is as if his present viewpoint as disciple and writer of the gospel came from the heart of a life that has been revolutionized by the calling of Jesus that, that Matthew, the evangelist, considers Matthew the tax collector to have been a totally different person. So Matthew, the evangelist, in writing this very brief passage, is looking at Matthew, the tax collector, exclusively through the eyes of the Lord. And that's something that we should reflect upon. Uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI muses on the importance of this. And, and his point is quite simple. Once we have truly encountered Jesus Christ, once we have truly encountered the Word of God, and we have allowed the power of God, the power of Jesus, to touch our hearts, to grasp our hearts, this is a life changed, right? At one point in history, there was Matthew, the tax collector. He encountered Christ. Now he's Matthew, the evangelist. And, and we know th this encounter happened, right, Mark? Because he said, follow me. And oh, my goodness, the silence in which those two words vibrate is filled with a thousand intimations, right? Just as our Lord's word of command made the paralytic rise from his bed. We have this invitation from Jesus to Matthew into this kind of intimate prophetic existence in Jesus's company. But Joe, and what's fascinating too, you know, as you're talking about Matthew being seen, you know, in, mm -hmm. in scripture, we know it, there is a very direct correlation relationship to be seen and to be known. You know, and you talked about that briefly, yes. that when he's seen, yes. there's something that's known. You know, you might hear people say, like, gosh, he was looking at me and I felt like he was seeing right through me, but not looking yeah. past them, but just that the eyes can be piercing. And that, that's what mm. I don't, don't know that that's what Matthew's getting at here as much as uh, he was seen and he was known. Um, yeah. You know, and it's interesting, oh, yeah. too, uh, that he was noticed. I'm reminded of Zacchaeus, you know, climbing up the sycamore tree to see Jesus. We see that in the Gospel of Luke. Um, Zacchaeus goes up, you know, you know, ironically in my mind, maybe not so much in God's grand plan and scheme of things. Zacchaeus was also a tax collector, you know. Of and course. So that, oh, he goes, that was very important to Matthew, for sure. Um, yeah, that would so, have been important. So yeah. this is fascinating that, um, and, and it, what stood out about Zacchaeus was that Jesus noticed him. 
right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, mm-hmm. and so to, to come back and to see that Matthew in this self-reflection offering a portrait for us that he's seen and he's known, mm-hmm. you know, and he knew him, right? And so yeah. he knew what tax collector meant. He knew uh, well that this is this is a hated profession. You know, it might be akin to what modern day uh, reputation is of lawyers, right? If you hear lawyers and maybe even still the IRS too, right? Like what is that sense of the common joke is they are not liked because, you know, they, they work with a lack of honor. They they took advantage of the people kind of sat high on their horse. Some of these things that were uh, synonymous to tax collectors at the time. So Jesus knew quote unquote, well, um, yeah. And then we pick up the very next line. While, while he was at table in his house, we can assume referring to Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat with Jesus and his disciples. So he knew him, and then already he's hanging out with him. He's spending mm-hmm. time with him. And I don't mean to mm-hmm. make loose of it by saying hanging out with him because there wasn't an unintentional moment with Jesus. He, again, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was engaging them. This is why he came. He's being incarnational, you know. Mm-hmm. And even Joe, to, yeah. to say these things, it almost sounds uh, too easy. And I don't mean for, as a communicated, you know, for me, just even as as a person who works in the field of evangelization, this was certainly one of the things impressed upon me is the importance to meet somebody where they're at, but not so much so that you lose track of your own roots, you know losing track of where you need to be as a son of God, you know? So there's a lot at work here because Jesus is well aware of not only him being watched, you know, and this is the, this is the short dialogue that we see unfold, you know, and I find it also intriguing. Um, You know, the the question I asked uh, away from, you know, when, when you and I were talking about this a little bit was, you know, there's a certain sense of, isn't Jesus guilty by association? Like, you know, who you surround yourself around. Is this, uh, is this really how you want to be known? And, you know, yeah. even in our modern day, those of us who discern, are these the kind of, I think to my own kids, like, are these the kind of friends you want to make? Are these the kind of friends that you want to hang out with, to surround yourself with? Are they going to support you or not? Um, these are all kinds of questions that even the Pharisees, you know, the Pharisees kind of get a bad rap because I think we dive into their motivations, not always pure, right? But to ask the question, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You know, and I, I know we'll come more into that uh, after the break. But first, just a question I'm, I'm posing to you, Joe, is aren't you guilty by association here? What's, what's happening here? Yeah, well, gosh, there, there's so much inside of this, Mark. Um, the, the first thing, again, is to consider uh, what we started to touch upon here with respect to what has led up to this moment, Right. Uh, if if you were paralyzed, you know, in antiquity in, in the Jewish mindset, that that was tied to punishment of, of sin, right? So he's a sinner. A tax collector's a sinner. At, you know, I focus on the paralytic and 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 the tax collector rising, right? I mean, just as again, just as Jesus's command makes the paralytic rise, uh, so does Jesus' words, "Follow me," make Matthew rise. This is <laughs> these are two men whose lives have been touched by Christ. And as they've been touched by Christ, they, they now are living a new life, a resurrected life, if you will. 
Um, and this bears witness to this, this again, new vision of God, this, this new covenant of God, this new life in God. All right. So what Jesus wants us to see is that in the end, uh, the bottom line is that uh, as you follow me, you know, you you will experience new life. And the person who was who, who following me right, was was in the mind of the Jew, a sinner of the worst kind. Right. A sinner of the worst kind. We can never overstate enough um how the tax collector was despised. You're talking about lawyers, and, and we can do so because our own father was a lawyer, right? And, and a good yeah, one. Right, right. Right. <laughs> um, but th- that can never be overstated. I mean, t- to really go into antiquity and even the, the historical circumstances of this area, it's significant. They, they Tax collectors were absolutely despised, right? So uh, we focus on that and emphasize that because then it turns itself Right. It kind of turns on itself that in the end, this is the person that Jesus uh, comes for. Right. And this is why he uses the language of the the, the physician has come for the sick, um, for the sinner, uh, but also, of course, the the Pharisee. And so in this whole language of um, guilty by association, Mark, as you talk about it, um, the the message I think for us is this that uh, we have to be very careful of how we look upon our brothers and sisters as less than, right? Because we are all sons and daughters of God. One of the great precepts of the church is uh, the dignity of every human person, no matter who they are or how they are perceived, because um, they have been created in the image and likeness of God. And this is why Jesus sends us forth. It's part of our baptismal vocation, right? that we are called to um, to bring our, our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, back to Jesus. And so, obviously, we never compromise truth, but leading with love, we enter into that dynamic of how to best evangelize. Uh, there's a reason, Mark, why Peter, for example, uh, says, you know, what's the, the great verse? Um, Give hope for the reasons that are inside of you. Uh, but always do so in gentleness and reverence, uh, or, or give reasons for the hope that is inside of you, but always do so in gentleness and reverence. That's a great, uh, an apologetic verse, right? Uh, we always focus on the importance of giving reasons for the hope that is Jesus Christ that is inside of us, and we, f- we, we forget or neglect the virtues of gentleness and reverence. Yet, the virtues of gentleness and reverence are the virtues by which help bid, build the bridge that truth shall pass, huh? Absolutely. Um, and so when we when we find ourselves, quote unquote, in the company of perceived sinners, we enter into those beautiful virtues of gentleness and reverence, which I think we've touched upon before, Mark. But it's 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 a matter of emphasizing again. These are the virtues that is gentleness and reverence that create the space, if you will, for conversation to to um, to be had. Right. Gentleness and reverence are those twin virtues that uh, enable us to listen better so as to respond better, uh, to listen more to respond better. Uh, And as we do this, we can then begin to speak into someone's situation. There is Jesus, right, in the company of sinners, listening to them to then respond to them. Respond to them, and we'll talk about this, but with those all-important words, um, go away and learn 
um, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So he he's listening to them. He's he's in their company, and he gives them a, a homework assignment, right? Um, and so too are we, Mark, uh, when we find ourselves maybe in situations or in the company that we are uncomfortable with to, to listen and to allow ourselves to be uncomfortable. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And, hey, Joe, speaking of uncomfortable, <laughs> we got to take a break. We're, in sure, a, sure, you're, sure, we're flowing. Sure. Uh, let's take a break. Sure. But when we come back, let's pick up on this. Um, certainly, uh, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. But even I want to also touch about you. You made a great point about how to follow Jesus. Um, Matthew had to rise and there's a kind of healing in mm-hmm. that. I want to come back to that. So stay with us on Awaken. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more after this short coffee break. You're listening to Awaken on the Real Presence Radio Network. If you're hearing this, that means you're a Real Presence Radio listener, and we have a message for you. May 11th through May 13th, we'll be gathering for three full days of live local content. Hear from some of your favorite hosts and guests as they help RPR raise funds during our spring live drive. Let us hear from you May 11th through the 13th, and let everyone know that you love your family of faith and hope. You can find all the details, including how to give online, at realpresenceradio.com slash live dash drive. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. Have interruptions impacted your charitable giving? If you feel like you have less to give this year or are waiting until you get through these recent challenges, we want to let you know about some creative gift options that won't cost you a dime this year. For example, you could designate Real Presence Radio as the beneficiary of all or percentage of your IRA or make RPR beneficiary of a percentage of your estate or specific asset. Make a bequest commitment gift this year without impacting your savings or investments. To learn more about the benefits of making a charitable bequest, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. Do you know a priest who has made a difference in your life or at your parish? One who has helped you through a loss, discern an important decision, or celebrated the sacraments with you and your family? Real Presence Radio would like to know about these amazing priests. Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com slash contact to nominate your priest. And each week on Real Presence Live, we will recognize one of our priests with a dozen donuts generously donated by a local business. Help us honor our fathers by nominating your priest today. Welcome back to Awaken on the Real Presence Radio Network. Now back to more lively, faith-filled conversation with Mark and Dr. Joe Hallcraft. Welcome back. There is so much packed into the scripture. If you're just joining us, this is Mark Hallcraft, joined by Dr. Joe Hallcraft. We're picking up from the call of Matthew in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 9 to 13, where there's a question asked, of Jesus, uh, but he's, it's asked to his disciples, ironically, Joe, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why not? Why didn't they just ask Jesus? He's right there. You know, he, he's taking it in, which I think is its own kind of uh, moment. Is that a passive-aggressive moment? Maybe. Um, but why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus replies, because he heard it, says, those who are well do not need a physician, 
but the sick do. And then he goes on. Go and learn the meaning of the words, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners, knowing very well that we are all sinners. Um, so, Joe, in the last segment, you had said something that struck me, because in the calling of Matthew to be known, uh, you likened him calling and getting up similar to when he cured the paralyzed man, which we discussed in our last episode, and how he, he rose. You know, get up and walk, he rose and he walked. But there was a healing there. And it was, I, I found that very significant, not that we need to spend a lot of time on it, but I found that significant because to follow Christ is healing. There's going Amen. to be a healing there. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's something, again, we could spend episodes on that. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, but there's something, I think, poignant there. And we see it. We see it here with Matthew um, that to follow him, he got up and followed him. It doesn't, it, there's no further explanation after that, you know, mm-hmm. as far as in that moment. It doesn't dig into all the experiences. It doesn't dig into him saying, mm, should I, shouldn't I? Um, you know, from the surface, and even as you dig into a few layers, there's not a whole lot of, like, diving into this deep discernment. He gets up and he hears him. Maybe it demonstrates the, powers of, the power of Jesus' voice. The power to be to know and be known, um, but can we can we can we get into that a little bit, Joe? Um, especially in light of those who are well do not need a physician, but the sick do. It's, boom! Here we go. Yeah, that's right. And so, on one hand, we're made to consider the sick or the perceived sick. That is the paralytic and the and the tax collector, right? Right. Um, and certainly physically and or spiritually. Uh, but also the Pharisees. He wants us. He wants us to kind of grapple with both of those. Um, you know, I Mark. Uh, you know, I had asked my cardiologist back uh, in the days when I lived in Chico, California, and we got to be pretty close actually. And I had asked him one time about you know the hearts uh, heart surgeries he performs. And I just wanted to get a sense of what that looks like for him. And I remember on one occasion him talking about the very fine detail of what a surgery looks like and his attention to the slightest movement, right? Um, And I could not help but think when he was talking about Jesus as the divine cardiologist, if you will, right? And how when we follow Jesus, you know, that following, uh, that pursuing, that becoming an intentional disciple is one where our heart is always open, open to Jesus as the divine cardiologist, constantly working on our heart, constantly performing a kind of divine surgery, healing us from our um, our woundedness. Um, and of course, this is something, as we've touched upon before, Mark, that, that demands our vulnerability, right? Because if salvation um, comes by virtue of vulnerability— then we need to enter into that that space of, of becoming vulnerable before God, right? Salvation, save, means healing bomb, vulnerable, vulneratio means uh, woundedness. So the cross is, is God's healing bomb on our wound. And so this is why it's so important for our discipleship to enter into the mystery of the cross. And, and this happens when we become vulnerable, Um when we follow him radically, because following him radically is a becoming vulnerable. Um, and yes, sometimes that leads to 
fingers being pointed at us for the company we keep. <laughs> right? Right. So no doubt a, a following of Jesus um, is, is always caught up in in the process of, of healing. And there, there does come a point where praise be Jesus Christ here on earth. I mean, there, it, the, the healing is performed, right? But there's always more room for conversion, right? Um, there's always a gap between the person we are and the person we ought to be. Um, and we close that gap by drawing ourselves closer to Jesus each and every day in prayer. I think, you know, one of the prayers that comes to mind, and you say to close that gap, you know, Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. May my will be conformed to your will. You know, and that's, you know, some would say that's a dangerous prayer. Well, but it's, as it's, it's life giving. And I, I love what you said, Joe, regarding the cross being the healing bomb, uh, the healing bomb to, uh, to our woundedness, um, yeah. which is why the cross is always going to be at the center of our healing, and it's always going to be at the center of where uh, we experience new life. You know, connecting back to also that analogy in the sense, you know, I, maybe the relationship be the better word that you're connecting between the, the the paralytic and Matthew. You know, you have the the literal need for healing. Uh, there's the literal and the figurative. You know. Uh, the literal, it's more obvious with the paralytic. There's a physical healing, but then, of course, the internal healing, the great healing that happened inside him, too. Now, whereas Matthew... Yeah, and I would... Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, I, would inter, I would interject real fast, Mark, that it would be less figurative and more spiritual when you talk about the internal, right? Is that what you mean to sure. say? Sure, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And and then we come to Matthew, where there's, there's the need for... There's this, a, a same need... For a deep healing, uh, spiritual, but also then uh, the the figurative, right? He looks like he has it all together, you know, in sure. in the one sure. sense, yeah, yeah. in the eyes of the world. Yes, right? yes, I hear you. Sure. Uh, in the eyes of the world, and yet um, the the need for healing of both are just as profound and necessary for new life, a life with Christ. And of course, that's that's within our introduction of waking. We dive in, and we why do we do all this to? to more enter into a life with Christ. And, you know, that being said, a life with Christ uh, cannot be without mercy. And so we're mm. going down that road. Go and learn the meaning of the words, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Mm. Joe, there's, there's, so, there's so much here. You know, one thing I want to say, so where do we go? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, what's interesting about this, Mark, again, another unique moment in the Gospels, Jesus um, call, saying to the Pharisees, go and learn, right? Uh, what this is, I want mercy and not sacrifice. Those who are Jesus' disciples, and kind of picking up on, on what we were just speaking to, Mark, are marked by their continual willingness to learn evermore from their teacher, right? So in, in the Christian scheme, the disciple never stops being disciple because the Lord never stops being Lord. So he says, go and learn, <laughs> learn more. So Jesus sends them off to ponder the meaning of this phrase. And not from, not from the Torah, but from the prophets. As if to say to them, Mark, that all the rigors of, of the Torah, all the rigors of Leviticus are senseless without the salt and fire of the prophetic vision, which he's quoting here, Hosea 6.6, 6, mercy I desire and not sacrifice. 
So he gives them the subject for the meditation. And I love it because here he's treating, in a manner of speaking, Mark, the Pharisees as, and the members of the Sanhedrin as um, colleagues, right? You you, you studied the, the, the law, so I want you to ponder this now, right? I want you to ponder this. And, and it's really, it's a sending forth, but no doubt a reproach. And, and the reproach cuts to the heart of the Pharisees' piety precisely because their whole life, down to its smallest details, is conceived as one unending act of sacrifice to God, right? So Jesus knows the depth of the beauty of the Pharisees' formula for an integrated religious existence. Um, he does not quote the text from Hosea to them as, as if they do not know it. Rather, he tells them explicitly, Mark, go and learn the meaning of it. And, and as he does so, there's some implicit questions there, right? Why must you, who are truly pious at the cost of some great personal sacrifice, always opt for, again, let's consider the context of the passage, you know, always opt for intolerance and, and, and condemnation of others when it appears you must choose between that and compassion and understanding. Why must the pure always be full of contempt for the impure? You know, I'm reminded, Mark, here of um, G.K. Chesterton when we're talking about this. He says, you know, um, to the person who is comfortable uh, with their religious existence should be very uncomfortable. <laughs> right? Right. The whole idea right. is, you know, again, here we are, Jesus in, in, in the company of tax collectors, and he's wanting in this question to get the Pharisees to see the importance of it. Now, we have to say something here, Mark, that's really important, because I actually get a question about this passage quite a bit. The quote from Hosea seems to oppose mercy and sacrifice, right? I want mercy and not sacrifice. Oh, what are you saying, Jesus? <laughs> as, as if they were mutually exclusive. Right. But its context, however, clearly shows that, that neither Hosea, and certainly nor Jesus, is rejecting putting this in the context of the first century, right? Rejecting the, uh, the cult of the temple, much less the ideal of a sacrificial existence. Rather, the prophetic reproach here, Mark, is, is aimed at an already decaying notion, we can call it a sacrifice, that no longer has love at its center, and that has altogether forgotten that the offer of sacrifice, even in the case of a pious Pharisee, must above all consider himself an unworthy sinner before the Most High if his sacrifice is in the end to be pleasing to God. right? So what Jesus is doing is saying, <laughs> remember the meaning of sacrifice and what lies at the heart of it. Sacrifice, to make holy. You want to be holy? Live a merciful life. right? Sacrifice, empty of mercy, is... is Empty sacrifice. <laughs> and if we can't get that as a pious Pharisee and fast forward 2,000 years later as a Christian, then we don't get Christianity. Right? We don't get Catholicism. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Again, he's not rejecting sacrifice. Sacrifice is at the, is at the heart of our relationship. I mean— Well, you go, if you were to continue on to the next few verses, Jesus goes yes. right into talking about fasting. And a, and a spirit exactly. of sacrifice. I was, so, just, yes. I was just about to make that point, Mark. I mean, he's the very next verses, as if to say, just in case you're thinking sacrifice isn't important. I mean, 
really with his whole life, Jesus demonstrated the harmony between mercy to others and self-sacrifice to his father. Um, and in that, we begin to understand and appreciate the dynamic interplay between the two. Um, and this is what he's inviting the Pharisees to consider. You have this pious understanding of sacrifice, but it doesn't have the substance that gives it life, right? And now it's very easy to be critical of the Pharisees here, but in reality, Mark, I think every Christian in human history has struggled with this. Right? Well, this, this is where, <laughs> speaking of compassion, Joe, I have a kind of compassion for the Pharisees because yeah. I can see myself in that, you know, and it's, you're right, it's really easy to just to, to be frustrated, like, oh my gosh, here we go, the Pharisees again, they're so stupid, <laughs> you know, and yeah. it's like, well, yeah. let's not speak yeah. so fast, you know, but Joe, I'm loving the connection, well, okay, I'm making a connection, just... As you went back to refer to Jesus quoting from the prophet Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And you go back and you dig into a little bit of the context there, and you come right back mm. here. You mm. know, what comes to mind, um, you know, and you mentioned when there's this, uh, a loss, uh, there's a loss of love in the heart. You know, well, it speaks to also another notion of, of an insincere conversion. You know, mm. and as Jesus is mm. diving into this, you know, and that's maybe where we can pick on the Pharisees a little bit, but not without the, not in the absence of our own self-reflection too, is, you know, how often is our conversion, our repentance insincere, you know, yeah. um, and, and so then, and Jesus utters the word to us, desire mercy, not sacrifice. You know, it's not to negate sacrifice, just like you said. In fact, sacrifice is often going to be uh, that essential piece for that that conversion of whatever that is the Lord is working on in our heart for it to meet its its fruition what the lord what that that work that the Lord is beginning to see its end you know he 'll see it to the end it 's our cooperation and again yeah. i don 't mean to come off oversimplifying because there 's so many layers here yeah yeah father um, Haggerty makes a point i, I think he probably known by many of your listeners, Mark, and, and our listeners here, Father Haggerty, Archdiocese of New York, I believe. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's uh, a father, uh, there's a father Haggerty right here in the Diocese of Fargo. So, oh, it, it, okay. So the father Haggerty, he's done a lot of writing. Um, oh, Sioux Falls. I've had a chance. Sioux Falls. Oh, Sioux Falls. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I, 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 I've, um, uh, you know, as director of the high calling program, I had the chance to speak with some of these priests and we're blessed to have Father Haggerty on our faculty. And he, he, in his work on conversion, talks about the importance of um, ongoing conversion and how there's there there's a conversion we experience where we say, follow me. But there's a post-conversion that is an ongoing. And he really highlights the importance of embracing that post-conversion, because even in that post-conversion, whatever might be insincere in what we thought was sincere um can convert as it needs to, right? So what you're speaking to here is is very important, um, that it be genuine, it be real. No doubt when the Word of God touches our life and we truly rise, we know what that looks like. I think we know what that looks like because it looks like one whose life has changed, whose life has changed, and we can look in the mirror and recognize that for what it is. Well, Joe, we got to take a break here. This morning is flying by. <laughs> um which, you know, is usually a, sign, a good sign. Um, but stay with us. We're going to talk about our saint of the day. And I think we also need to 
uh, tie it up a little bit because I think there's more here just to close out this conversation about conversion. Um, so stay with us on Awaken. You've made the right choice to listen to Awaken. Stay with us. There's much more to come after this short break. It's that time of year when we're gathering all our favorite local hosts, guests, and listeners to share stories and the impact Real Presence Radio has on their lives every single day. It's the Spring Live Drive, May 11th through the 13th. Your chance to show how much you value and love Real Presence Radio by calling in with your support. More information, including how to give online, is available at realpresenceradio.com slash live dash drive. The Spring Live Drive, May 11th through the 13th on the RPR Network. Did you know you can listen to all your favorite local shows like Awaken and Real Presence Live on any podcast platform such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Amazon Music? Just search for Real Presence Radio on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes in the future. And don't forget to give us a good rating so others can discover the shows. Listen to your favorite RPR shows anytime, anywhere by subscribing on any podcast platform. Just search for Real Presence Radio today. This is Father Chuck Huck from the Diocese of Crookston. Today I'm thinking about going to Mass. What is the importance of going to Mass and gathering as a community? One of the things that I think is very important is we must realize God calls us as His people. He invites us forth. He wants us to be participatory in life, in relationship. He wants to be part of that relationship. What's amazing is most people don't realize God is calling you, and when you wake up on Sunday morning or on Saturday evening when you decide to go to Mass, what you are doing is responding to God's call. And the celebration for the Eucharist actually starts when you start preparing at your home or wherever you're at to come forth to church. Imagine streams of people from everywhere coming together, celebrating because God called them all to be together at that moment, at that time. Thanks for starting your day with us. Now, back to more Awaken, right here on the Real Presence Radio Network. Welcome back. Uh, This is Mark Holcraft, joined by Dr. Joe Holcraft. We're talking conversion. Context is Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. And in our last segment, we were really diving in more into I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Uh, and Joe, I just think you had, you know, there's sometimes there's just a line of the day that stands out. And you referred to the connection of how uh, the cross is going to be at the heart of our healing. But you made it sound way better <laughs> um, because you were pulling in how like that the healing bomb, the cross is the healing bomb to our wounds. Uh, and in and, and that woundedness, that's often th- that vulnerability. Um, and so I think that was just a great fodder for the nature of, uh, of conversion and, and engaging Jesus. You know, again, we talked briefly about the relationship where we are as disciples of Jesus, we are his students and he is our master. And so uh-huh. as students, we sit at the feet of the master. And that, that, that is our life until our dying day. You know, because it yeah. it never will grow old. Jesus will always have something, not just to teach, but as a master, you know, to us as students. I just think there's such a rich relationship there. 
Um, and so he's constantly inviting us. And so he's constantly inviting us into that understanding of mercy, not sacrifice, but so important that it doesn't negate sacrifice. Um, yeah. Which I think is, that's all part of our conversion. Go ahead, Joe. Sure. Yeah, I made to reflect as you're talking there, Mark, upon um, the words of Fulton Sheen in, in one of his, um, you know, compelling uh, Life in Christ um, talks. He he says, really to convert is to simply gaze upon the crucified Lord, um, if not in the blessed sacrament. So he, he always had a preference for adoration, of course, but um, and maybe even within adoration and, and in the church, to gaze upon the crucified Lord and to allow the crucifix to penetrate our hearts. Uh, the open heart that is willing to receive, he would say, is always open to allowing uh, the crucified Lord, the, the Lord of sacrifice, the Lord at once of mercy to penetrate our hearts. Uh, and you know, Mark, th- there's something there because really, as we are talking about uh, the calling of Matthew and these, what, five verses, uh, chapter 9, verses 9 to 13, there is an overarching truth that just needs to be nailed down, and, and let us let us nail it to the crucifix, if you will. Yeah. That those who seem to be farthest from holiness can even become a model of the acceptance of God's mercy, and at once offer a glimpse of its marvelous effects in their own lives. That would be something from B, uh, Pope Benedict Emeritus. Pope Emeritus Benedict jo- XVI. I was going to say, if that's, if that's you, brother, <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, it, 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 it's that, that's a, a very close quote there, if, if not a paraphrase. Yeah. But it's to, say, it's to say, Mark, that no matter where you are in your life, we have to be open to the inexhaustible reality that is God's mercy. You know, it's been said... Um, and sometimes I think overset out of context that if you were to take all of the water in the world, it is but a drop of, of God's mercy. Um, <laughs> that is more true than we can ever imagine. And it's really worth pondering that that just one glimpse of some large body of water is an actual drop of God's mercy. Um, yes, and, and so much more because water is limited and God's mercy is unlimited. And so, you know, the, the, the becoming holy, if you will, is a process. Converting is a process, Mark. And what we have to understand is that we don't go to Mass or, or go to confession because we're holy, but because we lack holiness. And once we understand that truth, if we are finding ourselves in, in bad space, Maybe we didn't fulfill our Lenten duty. We didn't enter into mystery. We're just far from God. We haven't been to Mass in a long time. We haven't been to confession in years. We haven't prayed in, in a lifetime, right? God doesn't want me. No. God is the divine physician, and you're, you're the one he desires most, right? God's mercy is attracted to brokenness, right? And so... Once we understand that, and once we enter, enter into the mystery of our own brokenness, each and every one of us, then we begin the process of holiness. And Mark, that, to me, is what Matthew's calling reminds us of, right? 
if in fact Matthew's called and any of the, I mean, look at these apostles. The only one who, who by man's standards had, had the credentials to be a follower of Jesus, it was Judas. <clears throat> right, so right. The, the other 11, which had no business of being his followers, were his followers for a reason. And I would suggest to you, and this is an echo of Benedict XVI, that it, the first truth of that point is that God desires our brokenness. And he calls those who might appear to be farthest closest to him. And that's, that's why he's come. You know, we open up with this reflection and going to the margins. He, you know, he went to the margins by going to Matthew. Matthew's eyes caught glimpse of Jesus. Jesus' eyes caught glimpse of Matthew. And there it was, right? You know, fireworks. And so that's, that's the essence of what's going on here, Mark. Well, and that's a great lead in Joe. Our saint of the day is St. Matthew. Right, you know, home field advantage. We'll give it to Matthew. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> but, but we do. I mean, you know, because we, we've been taking a look at Matthew uh, through his own eyes, right? But also him, I say, through his own eyes, uh, post conversion, right? Post conversion. I sometimes refer to myself when I'm talking to my friends. You know, we have we all have our memories of different things from of old, and I, you know, I might if I think of a movie, I quote a movie, or I quote a song that. It's just not something that I would normally watch or listen to today. I refer to those as my PC days, not politically correct, but my pre-conversion days. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and we we all have that to some degree. And I think sure. that's we see this with Matthew. You know, we know some things about Matthew. We know we lived around the time of Christ. We don't have the exact date of his birth or his the exact date of his death. Um, we know that he wrote this uh, this account of the gospel uh, thirty to forty years after. Jesus died. Um, and what we see is what's unusual about, as we discussed the saint, is we're getting a glimpse into that conversion point. You know, mm-hmm. and so on one hand, Joe, this is what we've been discussing. You know, yeah. he was at his work post. This is where he met Jesus. He probably heard rumblings about Jesus. You know, we know he heard rumblings about Jesus beforehand. You know, so maybe there was a spirit of curiosity there. I mentioned the figure uh, earlier of Zacchaeus where clearly there's a curiosity, he's climbing up the tree to see. So maybe there's a, yeah. a curiosity from Matthew, but we do see uh, in it, we kind of get almost a, a firsthand account, if you will, of of what this looked like for Matthew. Um, <laughs> he doesn't say much because the next line is, and he followed, follow me, and he follows him. Um, yeah. But we do see um, after this account of the Gospels, he becomes Matthew the Evangelist, right? His name was Levi, but then the kind of the Christianized name of Matthew, meaning something along the lines of God's gift. The uh, gift of God. Mm-hmm. Gift of God. Yeah. And so uh, we see him taking on not just a new identity, but living a new life. Um, huh. He had, was a very, very intelligent guy. Um, tax collectors, he had to he had to know a thing or two. He had to know how to speak a few languages because he's incorporating two different cultures. And so we see Matthew is an intelligent man. Uh, to some degree, he's going to be articulate. Um, and so his ability to write, he's more educated than many of the apostles. Okay, he's not your your token fisherman uh, as some of them mm-hmm. were. And so these are some insights that we have into Matthew. Um, 
when he's when he wrote it, it it's some of the historians and contemporaries in his time indicate he was able to to write the gospel gospel in an Aramaic and in Greek. Um, but much of what we have here now it comes from the Greek. Uh, so he's he's the patron saint of tax collectors, uh, not ironically, <laughs> and accountants. You know, what, what so, were we saying about IRS earlier? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I should note this too, Joe, because I made a comment about lawyers. It's not for lack of love of lawyers. <laughs> it's, oh, of course. But more communicating. Course, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, no, we, we get it. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. But, but, but that being said, all this regarding Matthew, he again provides profound proof that no one, no one is so far gone beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. There's, you know, yeah. there's not a soul. And yet, um, Matthew shows us this. I also thought of, as you were talking, Joe, in regards, again, uh, a great line. Maybe I spoke too soon in regards to the line of the day. But God's mercy is attracted to brokenness. You know, you had, when you shared that earlier, God's mercy is attracted to brokenness. You know, I, I thought of uh, Augustine, too. Augustine of Hippo. Another one of those just mm. great figures, a renowned mm. story of conversion, because he does. I mean, we, you do get insight into that story of conversion in his heart because it wasn't yeah. per se in a moment, but there was so yeah. much more. Again, yeah. these great figures, they are great figures because they're seeking to follow that heart of Christ, to imitate that heart of Christ. Um, mm. You know, their conversions were not insincere. And yet yeah. we can't, it's not to say that they weren't tempted with it, and so I just think that's so important, Joe, and, and you, were, you were sharing about that earlier. It's so important for us to recognize, even in our walk with the Lord, in our brokenness, and we have those moments of just totally dissatisfied with ourselves or maybe even being really hard on ourselves. We're ne- never removed in those regards. We're never so far gone that we cannot embrace the mercy of Jesus. And I really sense, Mark, that that really that's the the theme of today, this morning. Almost as if there's someone out there that needs to hear it. I don't usually say that. I'm not receiving some charismatic word of knowledge right now, sure. but I, I do. I intuit right now, Mark, that there's people out there that need to hear that right now. Um, I know there are times when I I need to hear that, you know, um, um, because it's it's true. <laughs> yeah. It's yes. True. It's true. You know, you talk about St. Augustine, uh, one of his great lines, Pondus meum amor meus, my love is my weight. My love is my weight. I mean, we can talk about this in a secular context, but for Jesus, right, his love was the cross, right? That was his weight. His whole life was lived with that in mind. Just to, when St. Augustine's talking about that, he's talking about how, what is on our mind, what is on our heart, um, when we live our lives, right? Who is on our mind? Who is in our heart? And when we are falling in love, Mark, right? Um, our, our, our beloveds are, are in mind and heart, and hopefully they still are, right? We can be miles apart, yet they're close to us because of how close they are to us and our love for them. For Jesus, right? You know, uh, so my love, the, the pondus memor meus is, my love is my weight. My love is my density. My love is my gravity, right? It, it's just my love is, is my pole, if you will. Exactly. For right, Jesus, right. it's all of us, right? It's all of us. 
And I speak to God's mercy being attracted to brokenness because we are our our Lord's love. We are his his weight, his density, if you will, sticking with that Augustine phrase. And we have to be mindful of that. Um, Matthew, right? Though that love pierced his eyes, pierced his mind, pierced his heart. Um, he was a publican. Uh, publicans are incredibly, um, in, especially back then, they were known to be very eccentric, you know, just really caught up in numbers and details. And it's no wonder he wrote a gospel, right? It's no wonder why, why he was such, just not any tax collector, but as we know in history, kind of a, a well-known tax collector and, and because he was so good, he endeared himself to the Romans, right? And right, yet... Right. That love, that love pierced through all of that stuff um, that seemed to be so distant from God, at least in the eyes of the Pharisees, and said, follow me. And it got up to rise. Joe, I want to swing back. Um, you mentioned it. You just feel like someone, there might be someone who just really needs to hear that. Uh, and and I, would, uh, I would agree. Uh, they need to hear that God's mercy is ever present. Um, but I think it's something, it, it's not just you. You're in great company here, Joe. This is, you know, we just celebrated Divine Mercy Sunday this past Sunday, right? As we still are in this great season of Easter. Uh, yeah. But what, what we see, and you're, you're echoing the words that Jesus passed on to Faustina and in turn mm-hmm. passed on through St. John Paul II. You know, it's not just, you know, it's not to take away from, there is a soul, but we all need to hear it. And this is the message of our time. I think it's one of the great messages of our time that God's mercy is always available. Because one of the things that's a sign of the current culture is this lack of mercy, right? This lack of forgiveness, this level, there's such a high, intense level of anger. Um, Mm -hmm. But God's been taken out of the picture in so many of the settings. So mercy is inconceivable, you know? know, So I think there's something so potent there. Yeah, there really is, Mark. We're so fixated on, let's just put it plainly, the political conversation today, everywhere sure. I go, that we have forgotten about the religious conversation, um, of which the political conversation belongs. But we can't get that right unless we are right with Jesus, right? Who is the incarnation of, of truth, love, and mercy. And we need to encounter mercy so that we might be messengers and ambassadors of mercy. Joe, so good to be with you this morning. And uh, yeah. again, as we yeah. give a shout out to St. Matthew, St. Matthew, the evangelist, pray for us. This has been Awaken on the Real Presence Radio Network. Awaken comes to you every second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 7 a.m. Central with Mark and Dr. Joe Hallcraft. Want to listen to the show again? You can find the podcast any time of the day or night on our website at realpresenceradio.com slash awaken or on the Real Presence Radio app in the podcast section. Again, that's realpresenceradio.com slash awaken or in the free Real Presence Radio app. Be sure to join us again next time for more Awaken with Mark and Dr. Joe Hullcraft.